0: Uh, when's the last time you got caught in the act? When was it? I'm a night eater. Uh, I've been eating in the middle of the night uh, since I was in high school. And um, uh, I had a hollow leg in high school. I, I would eat all day long, and then by the time I'd go to bed, I'd get hungry at some point in the middle of the night. I'd get up and eat a, probably a hostess cake, a banana, probably a couple of yogurts, and then I'd go back to bed. I do it at least once every night, and um, I kept the habit up all the way through college. If I didn't have any grab-and-go food, I would eat my roommates' grab-and-go food. And uh, Jenna and I got married shortly after college, and I thought, man, I've really got to stop this habit before I get married. This is, this is embarrassing. It's one thing for my family to know about this when I was in high school. It's another thing for my roommates to know about it when I was in college, but for Jenna to have to deal with my night-eating, it's just embarrassing. So I just thought, all right, I'm going to go cold turkey. Um, and uh, so we get married, we moved to Birmingham, that's where we kept going for school, and um, we're driving down there, it's August, you know, driving down in your car from Lexington to Birmingham in August, it's hot, very hot, and one of our two cars didn't have any AC. And um, somewhere along the way, we had picked up a bag of chocolate-covered peanuts, and it was in the bag, it was in the car that didn't have AC. And so that thing melted, you know, into a singular mass at the bottom of the um, bag. And we uh, get to our apartment we unload all our stuff. We didn't want to throw away the chocolate covered peanuts. So we just put them in the fridge, you know, put them in the fridge. It'll harden up and maybe it'll be edible at some point. Well, we didn't go to the grocery. All we had done that day was just unload our stuff. And so uh, middle of the night hunger pangs get me and it didn't take me long to make the decision uh, to quit my cold turkey commitment to night eating so i went to the fridge i opened up now the uh, hardened uh, glob of chocolate covered peanuts and i took a couple really big uh, bites and i put it back in the bag and put it back in the fridge and the next morning jenna saw this bag of partly eaten melted chocolate covered peanuts and saw the teeth marks in it and she said what's up with this And I hung my head um, (laughs) because she caught me as the sucker that I am. It was squashing shame. Uh, It's one thing to eat a banana in the middle of the night, but she caught me with chocolate-covered peanuts that were melted in the bottom of the bag. Um, It's a really funny story. I could tell you a lot more funny stories about my night eating. Um, But you know the the kind of shame I'm talking about, don't you? I mean, I could tell you a lot of other stories about how I've had to live in the shame of my misdeeds. I, I, I could have tell you stories about how I've had to come face to face with the darkness in my own soul because now my sin is uncovered. See, shame is interwoven into our lives, but it's interwoven into the Eastern narrative, particularly within the character of Peter. Here's a snapshot of Peter's life from Palm Sunday, a week before the resurrection, to Good Friday. So in these five days, here are some of the things that happened with Peter. Well, first off, Peter was a part of the crowd that cried Hosanna on Palm Sunday and didn't really mean it. Secondly, uh, he's in the upper room just a couple days after Palm Sunday celebrating the Passover. This is the Last Supper. And Peter pronounces that that he would never, no matter what, give up on Jesus. Well, Jesus predicts that by sunup, he's going to not deny Jesus three times. And it turns out that Jesus was right Shame. You get down to the Garden of Gethsemane. They're in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus says, hey, I really need you guys, the, the, the disciples. I really need you guys to pray for me. And then Jesus goes off and prays by himself. He comes back and they're not praying for Jesus. Instead, they're sleeping on Jesus. Who's a part of that crowd? Peter. Shame. Then Peter wants to Kind of buy his way back into Jesus' good favor, so he thinks defending Jesus is going to be the way to go. They arrest Jesus. Peter takes his sword and he cuts off one of the Roman guard's ears, and Jesus gives him a good scolding. Shame. Now, clearly, these weren't Peter's better days as a disciple of Jesus. Can you imagine how he felt? You know that the shame had now come down around his ears. Yes, his heart's heavy because he misses Jesus. But his heart's heavy because he now sees his complicity in what's taken place in Jesus' death. He was ashamed of himself and he just doesn't see a way out. And Peter not only, he's not the only one who has to deal with shame for not being good at this Jesus thing. We all do. Shame's a part of the human experience. Whether you're, you're a Christian here tonight, or, or not, you know all about Shame. It commonly, it's got something to do with your body. It's got something to do with your sexuality. It could have something to do with the fact that your sin has gone public. It could be that you've left teeth markings in a glob of chocolate covered peanuts. But regardless of the source of your sin, you know what you do with your knee jerk reaction. What do you do? You hide. And I do too. Adam and Eve did. Uh, when they were in creation, when they fell what did they do? They covered themselves up and they hid from the presence of the Lord. So how have you been hiding? How's shame gotten the best of you? How do you get out from beneath the crushing weight of shame? Well, friends, I'm here to tell you Easter is what you need to get out from underneath that weight. And today, we're going to look at a passage from John's Gospel that happens between the resurrection and Jesus' ascension. And it's a really personal scene, mainly between Jesus and Peter. Let's read it together. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way... Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathanael of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. So do you see the picture? You've got Simon Peter and you've got five of his buddies, five of the other disciples. And so Simon Peter says to the rest of these, uh, the rest of these disciples, he says, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. Then they went out and they got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, "'Children, do you have any fish?' Interesting he calls them children, isn't it? They answered him, "'No.' He said to them, "'Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some.' So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in." because of the quantity of fish. And that disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, "It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, you know that I love you. Jesus, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This, he said, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. The word of the Lord. The first thing I want you to notice is right up there in verses 2 and 3. What do you notice? Well, Peter, Peter, you can just see him posting up on the front porch with his buddies. You don't have a lot of details, but it's not real hard to paint the picture, is it? These guys are all trying to process the events of the last few days. They were trying to think, how did we go from singing Hosanna on Sunday to screaming crucify him on Friday? How did we fall asleep on Jesus when he asked us to pray? Peter has his head hung extra low because he's the one who denied Jesus three times before the sun came up. So there on that front porch you could cut the shame in the air with a knife. But Peter, being the activist in the group, he couldn't sit there and process much longer. He's sick of the silence. He's sick of his subconscious just rehearing that crow over and over and over again. Just telling him how bad of a failure he really is. So being an activist, not one to process this thing anymore, he wants to go and do something he's good at. He knows he's not very good at this Jesus thing, so he goes fishing. Peter's been fishing all his days. It's his profession. He'd been doing this his whole life. He knew the waters he was fishing on, so surely he could go catch a few fish, fill his belly, forget about the sin of his denials and the pain of losing his friend and king, and move on with his life. But the problem is when he goes fishing, they don't catch anything, not even a bluegill. And so now he's lower than low. Can you hear the voices in Peter's head? Now you can't even fish. You'll never catch anything because this is God's way of punishing you. You might as well just slip into a state of non-existence. The world would be better off without you, Peter. That's the voice of shame. And it's the voice of shame that tells you that you're unacceptable because you've acted less than human and now everybody knows. You feel unclean, dishonored, filthy, shunned, disgusting, defiled, outcast, unlovable, repulsive, disgraced, loathed, worthless, scorned, and even vile. So in the midst of their not being able to catch any fish, they start to pack things up to go home, and that's when they hear a voice calling out from shore. And the voice asks them a question, "Children, do you have any fish?" They responded in the negative, and so the voice says back to the fisherman why don't you put your nets on the right side of the boat? Now, stop and think about it. If they've been fishing all night, they're not on some big cruise liner where it's hard to move your boat, move your nets all the way around the boat. They've moved their nets all the way around their boat several times at this point. But in their desperation, when this voice says, throw them over on the right side of the boat, they think, man, what do we have to lose here? So they throw their nets over on that side of the boat, and they haul in more fish than the boat can handle. And if you notice in our text, you get the picture of there's a couple of guys holding the fish as they're trying to get the, because they, they, they can't get them in. They're just holding them on the side of the boat, trying to get to the shore. And in the abundance of all these fish, that's when it clicks for Peter. Peter knows that the voice he's hearing from the beach, the, vo- the voice he's hearing from the shore, he knows that's the voice of Jesus. The resurrected Christ has come to pluck Peter out of his shame spiral and crown him with glory. And friend, this is where Easter comes in because Jesus knows what shame is all about, way better than Peter does. Jesus is the one who's despised, insulted. He's hung naked. He's abandoned by those who knew him best. That all happened at the cross. And the cross was not just the tragic end of an otherwise charmed life. The cross was the logical conclusion of the shame that Jesus voluntarily accumulated from the very moment of his birth. And see, Philippians 2 gives you a sense of Jesus' downward trajectory. One of the lines in that downward trajectory is that it says that he became, that he made himself nothing, nothing. Now he made himself nothing is very different than he became nothing. Because he made himself nothing has this, has this aspect of it's voluntary. Jesus is the one who chose to go further and further down. Jesus' goal was to work, his all, work himself all the way down to be a zero. See Jesus understands what it's like to be a zero. Because he was One. And you know what happens because Jesus becomes a zero? God exalts him. Gives him the name that's above every name. He gives him the name that has more honor than any other name that there's ever been. See, this moment at the resurrection, right after the crucifixion, is the most honorable moment of all of history. It's the moment when glory was encapsulated in the risen Lord. It's in that moment that he comes riding into town with his spoils. He's got the heads of Satan and sin and death. And he throws them all at the table and he says, I've won. Death is dead. Sin is dead. Satan's dead. And that all of our enemies are once and for all defeated. No one's achieved this kind of honor. His trophy case is full of far more and better trophies than any human being in history. No one else has ever slayed Satan. Satan. No one else has ever slayed death. No one else has ever slayed sin. It's just Jesus. That's why his honor and his glory and his value are infinite. So do you know how to squash your squashing shame? Get connected to the honored one. In Matthew chapter 1, we see the genealogy of Jesus. We see Jesus' family tree essentially. And in that family tree, there are three embarrassing, downright embarrassing women in that tree. First, there's Tamar. Tamar, so you can read the story in Genesis, she solicited sex from her father-in-law. You got Rahab, Rahab's profession, she's a prostitute. then you got Bathsheba. Bathsheba was a woman that David seduced. These are Jesus' ancestors. But in Matthew 1, what Matthew is doing is that he's taking their shame and he's turning it into honor because they're connected to the honored one. And this just falls right in line with his life, doesn't it? Jesus loved the shame of his day. Think about the tax collector. Sure, they lived the high life, but I bet you occasionally they sat there and thought, man, I bet you poor people are starving tonight because I've extorted them out of their very last dime. Shame. That kind of shame, I think, is what made Zacchaeus so excited about seeing Jesus when Jesus came to his town. He was tired of his shame squashing him. He was tired of the shame being around his ears. So he just had to be with Jesus. What did Jesus do when he saw him? Does he pile on the shame? Yeah, that's right. Poor people are starving because of you. He says, Zacchaeus, I want to go to your house. Because to sit at the table with Jesus was to receive honor. Go to John 4. You think about the Samaritan woman. The Samaritan woman, she goes and gets water in the middle of the day at the well. Why does she go in the middle of the day? Because it's hot. It's hot. No one else goes in the middle of the day because that's when it's going to be the hardest work to carry that bucket of water back to your house. You either go real early or you go real late. Not this woman. She's ashamed. And who meets her at that well? Does Jesus send somebody else because he's worried about his reputation and what people are going to think about him if he's standing there with a woman with this kind of seedy reputation? No. He doesn't go there and then say, hey, let me first and foremost remind you of your sexual history. He does that but he only does it after he offers her eternal life honor think about the lame the blind and the mute he doesn't walk past them and throw a dollar down at them he bends down and he touches and he heals them honor peter yeah peter and all his shame out there in the boat he's had a bad week can't catch any fish. And what does he do? He allows him to catch fish, and he cooks a meal for Peter on the beach. And he asks him three times, do you love me? Not only does Peter, is Peter assured of the love that Jesus has for him, Peter's given a job <laughs> to tend his sheep. And we all know what happens with Peter. Peter goes from being the most shamed person (laughs) in Jerusalem uh, to leading the church just several weeks later. Honor. So, friends, are you out fishing tonight? Now, I know you ain't fishing and you're here at church. But are you in that space where shame has squashed you and you've been running away from Jesus? In fact, you're a little bit surprised to even be at church on Easter Sunday. Well, let me remind you of a piece of our story. I'm pretty sure that Peter and the other disciples were really surprised to see Jesus when they got to the beach. Why, why were they surprised? It's because they were the ones who abandoned Jesus, they were the ones who rejected Jesus, they were the ones who betrayed Jesus, they're the ones who went limp hearted on Jesus. So why would Jesus come after them? It's because he wanted to replace their garments of shame with garments of praise. Brothers and sisters, quit hanging your head. Jesus is risen. And he's been chasing after the shamed ever since he's burst forth from the grave. Let's pray. Lord, you come and find us. (laughs) We're in the boat. I think we've done all we can to get rid of those nagging voices. Would you come find us? In Jesus' name, amen.